I think in a way I do have that simplicity, even if it involves lots of stuff. I think the reason that I have all of this stuff is for the purpose of making me smile. Welcome to the Getting Simple Podcast. If you're not doing what you like to do, find a job that you can do nine to five or even less. Get a part-time job and then spend the rest of your free time doing what you want to do. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Nono Martinez Alonso, and this is the Getting Simple podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Pierre Gustafsson. Hello, Pierre. Hello. So, Pierre is an artist that lives in Somerville, Massachusetts. I had the chance to meet Pierre while I was living in Cambridge, Massachusetts, in the Urban Sketchers group of Boston. And I found that the work that he was doing resonated to things I was interested in. And he's also shown me new ways to use fountain pens to to sketch. And they, in some way, they're kind of transforming already some of the things that I do uh, when I sketch. And the purpose why I wanted to, to bring Pierre uh, to the Getting Simple podcast is to hear more about the life of an artist and how you live, what your habits and daily routines are, because we're so used to see these nine to five jobs and hear about, you know, what your responsibilities are at the workplace. And yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in hearing more about a flexible life, I would think, that you've crafted for yourself. So if you can tell the listeners a bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. I'd be happy to. I always knew, I guess, that I was going to be an artist of some sort because that's the only thing I really knew how to do was to draw and to paint a little bit, though I'm not a painter. And I did that all my life. And I also was very much interested in lettering, calligraphy, and zooming way ahead to my senior year in college, I learned about the Good Service Pen Company in Minneapolis and I went to their store one day and bought a couple of old fountain pens, and my life changed at that very moment. I used to use technical pens, rapidographs, and I realized upon buying a pen made in 1940 that uh, my life was now complete because I had a pen that could I could draw and write expressively because of the gold nib that it had. And uh, I've never looked back. Pens have been a part of my life uh, for 30 or 40 years now, I guess. And when I did meet Nono, he was drawing beautiful rendition of the Mass Massachusetts Institute of Technology's main domed building. And he was using a very needle-nosed, pointed uh, felt-tip pen of some sort, pilot, I think. Micron. Micron. And I thought, I have to show this man the truth. So I insisted that he try out one of my pens at the next meeting we had. And I think I convinced him. Because rather than having two or three Micron pens, one with a point something or rather nib and one with a slightly bigger point something or rather nib, you could have all of that in just one pen. 
and depending on the pressure you apply, you'll get a thicker line. That's the commercial for fountain pens. I am an artist. I was a fine artist for many years, and at one point my muse died, and I started doing some illustrations, some flat. I was a sculptor, and I had started writing and illustrating articles for this fountain pen magazine, of all things, and I realized how much I missed drawing, flat drawing, composing information and images on a page to make them balanced, trying this thing and that way and another way, and that's just something that I completely missed in my sculptural work. And I fell in love with drawing all over again. And subsequently to that, I started doing graphic design work and illustration work for clients. And what I liked about that was they would give me a problem that I would have to solve. I'd have to do a drawing of X, Y, and Z with maybe a little bit of A, B, and C thrown in. And it was my joy, I guess, and my job to turn that into something that looked good. So that's the plan. And that's what I do today. And nine to five, it would be lucky if I had those hours. I'm more five to nine. I get up at five in the morning and I work until nine at night. So how about that? Now there's some naps in there. I live and work in the same place. So it's easy for me to go over to the couch and play with the cat and watch something on YouTube, but I never can escape my work because I live in my studio. Do you remember a previous time when you have more separation? Yes. I was more productive artistically when I had a studio that was apart from my house and I worked two jobs and I commuted to those jobs, whether it be on bike or on foot or on the tee. There was all of this time in between my various locations that I could smell the flowers and breathe and think and decompress or compress or whatever I had to do. And I don't have that here in my own house. I, I don't have that luxury. So what I save on commuting, I lose in productivity, I think. Living and working in the same place is is something that a lot of people think would be a great idea. And it might be a great idea for someone, but I don't think it's all that great for me. I need to get out of my own way sometimes by walking the dog. I walk a, a neighbor's dog, and that's helped me focus when I get done walking the dog. So we're here in your half studio, half house. Can you talk a bit about, so people can imagine? If you imagined the craziest antique shop basement that you've ever been in, that's kind of what this is like, except cooler stuff and more of it. And I've arranged it in a way that I think is interesting. Everything is in a particular spot, and I put things next to each other that normally wouldn't make any sense, but because I've got A next to Q, the relationship between those two disparate objects makes me smile. And maybe it tells a little joke. I don't know. Maybe I do it because of the way it looks, but it makes me smile. And that's very important in my life is to do things that make me smile or make my clients smile. So yes, I have a gynecology table in my 
place here. I've got two embalming tables in my house. I have 5,000 fountain pens in my house. I have two dollhouses in my house. I live in an artist building where a lot of people throw things away. And our trash bill would be twice as much if I didn't climb in the dumpster and drag things out of it to put in my house and to make my little displays. So I, I, I was describing my house earlier to Nono as a very complicated ikibana arrangement where everything makes sense to me and everything I think looks great. Other people may have different opinions. You see, it's really interesting to me the way you describe it because being able to see everything you own, I think except for the pens that you need to have on the drawers, everything else you can see from the outside. So you don't have to open any drawer or open any wardrobe to, to see what you have. Well, there are, when I do need to find something, sometimes it would be great luxury to me if I could go to anything I wanted to get and open a drawer and take it out. I also love drawers. I have lots of cabinets with lots of drawers, but there are some drawers that are behind other things and I have to move lots of stuff to get to what I need. But luckily, those are things I need only once a year. So how does your day-to-day -day look like usually? I get up at between four and five o'clock. If I sleep till six, it's luxurious. I get up and I play a couple of rounds of words with friends with a couple of friends of mine, and I look at my emails and have coffee, and then I start to work. And eventually I might have breakfast, though sometimes I forget, and then I continue to work. And my work is located in about three or four different places. Sometimes it's at my drawing table. Sometimes it's at my computer table. Sometimes it's in my Photoshop, you know, computer programming. Sometimes the com when I talk about the computer, it's sometimes dealing with emails and trying to understand what people want me to do and researching things. And usually I just work all day long in some way, shape, or form. Every once in a while, if I'm working at my drawing table and I have eight or nine pens on my desk, there's usually one pen that I'm trying to fix and I end up spending an hour doing that and I get sidetracked. But that's what's fun sometimes is a sidetrack. And then I go to bed, rinse and repeat. What things make your day more complex? Oh, more complex is if I try to find an email or a piece of information that was sent to me by someone. There's so many different ways that people send things to me. Was it in something that they sent in a text message or an email? Or was it on a Facebook messenger thing? It's very complicated. And I spend more time trying to find where a piece of information that I need to use to finish a job is. And it drives me crazy. And I've, I've tried to do one little thing that I tried to do to make my life easier is I do not, I, I will look in at a subject matter uh, on my phone for emails. And if it's a business related email, 
I will not actually open it until I'm at my computer, unless it's an emergency or something. But if that way, I'll know where I am and I can I can respond to it and I can look at the things that they're sending me and I can see them on my computer screen rather than on my little tiny phone. So that little one little thing saves a lot of time for me, but I really don't know how to make the other things. I suppose there's an app. Find what you want. Do you have any set habits of half an hour or less that you repeat every day and help your work day? There's one thing that I, I used to do. A, a friend of mine that used to live in the building had a dog, and I would walk his dog. And that just getting out of the house for that and away from my studio and away from my drawing desk and away from my clients for just that little bit of time was was quite helpful to me. It cleared my little head, and it, it was quite good. Another thing I sometimes will do is I have a ukulele. Well, that would be nice if I had one, but I have about six, and I can only play one at a time, and I can't play it all that well, but I play it and I sing. If that lasts for 10 minutes or something, that's fine. And it gets my brain, makes me smile. Again, smiling is what I have to do more of. Can you play a bit of ukulele after? Or... I, I can try, sure. Do you do any exercise? I ride a bicycle, but that's about it. And I ride a bicycle because I haven't had the time or the money to fix my car. But I walk and ride my bike, which is which I enjoy. I really love it. Do you do any meditation or yoga or any other activities? No, I don't do that. Uh, no, I, I'm trying to think of what I would do that would even be remotely like that, but I don't think I, I, I don't have that yoga gene or meditation gene. I'm always fidgeting. I'm always moving my hands, and usually my hand has a pen in it, and I'm, I'm always drawing. Uh, no piece of paper is safe with me. And it might be just making lines. I don't have to actually draw a thing, but just making beautiful lines with a with a pen makes me happy and makes me relaxed quite often. Yeah, I would think that some of those automatic strokes that you do have some sort of meditative state. Yeah, the calligraphic strokes especially, though cross-hatching can do it as well. I, I can sort of get myself into a zone where I don't, you know, I, I'm, it's, 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 it's as close as I can get, I think, to relaxing. I'll often, will turn on and just listen to the audio of some TV show or some documentary just to have something in the background, sometimes music, but I haven't done that in a long time. But uh, anyway. What's some other type of media that you listen to or watch? Oh, dear. Um, I like a lot of music that was written in the 20s, teens, 20s, and 30s. And those are the sorts of songs I like to sing and play on the ukulele. Um, but I also love classical music and opera. Watching things, sometimes it's cheesy 1950s Uh, sci-fi radio or movies programs. Sometimes it's watching, again, documentaries. I like science documentaries especially, sometimes history ones. The ones that actually give you factoids rather than the swooshing sounds and zooming in and zooming out. I just want to slug the guy that's in charge of that. You don't do any swooshing sounds, do you? <laughs> that sort of thing. You do. He's nodding. He's shaking his head now. He's not doing any of that. Good. Drives me crazy. So do you find any way to 
or do you even try to disconnect from your work? Yes. Again, you know, playing the ukulele, riding my bike, uh, going to antique shops, going to secondhand bookstores, going to flea markets is a nice way to get away from designing that logo for that company or calligraphing those envelopes for that wedding. But I end up usually bringing something else home that I have to cram into my house. But it makes me happy to cram more things into my house. So how do you feel living with uh, all the stuff that you have here in your studio? Well, it's cozy. And I will go to someone else's house or someone else's studio in this building. And I walk in a straight line for 20 paces, or maybe not quite that, 10 paces, or even five paces in a straight line. And I think, what a luxury that is. I can't walk three paces in my house without having to turn a corner. My house is, is like a little maze. And each of the, my little dead ends has a little treat in store. There's a little display of tinker toys or fountain pens or scientific equipment or lots of books. And it's really fun. I enjoy that. It's very cozy, but it is cozy. And it's like living on a submarine, I suppose. I've never been on a submarine before, but I bet this is what it's like. How do you go about arranging it? Well, the arranging it is interesting. For example, I have many bookcases in my house, and I just recently built a stalagmite of bookcases and filing cabinets on top of filing cabinets on top of bookcases. And it was chaotic, even for me. And the way that I made it work was I arranged the books in it by color. And on one side, vertically, is black, and the other side is white, and in the middle, going from top to bottom, is Roy G. Biv. So those books, I have to remember what they are because they're not in the their correct shelves. So if I want to get that book on Art Deco, I have to, and I can't find it on the Art Deco shelf, I have to remember, oh yes, that's the one that has the black cover. So I have to go to the black cover area. So that's how I arranged books. Now just imagine how I arranged my drafting sets or my T-squares or my embalming tables. Well, you'll just have to visit. So there is a piece here in your studio that says, I was born in the wrong century. Yes, I, I, had a, uh, I have a display of artwork downstairs and Nono found a piece of paper that I had meant to throw away in my trying to clean up. But I left it here for him to see by accident. And I described a project I'm doing right now, which is to record my thoughts on fountain pens and my thoughts on how I draw and how I design things on YouTube uh, videos. And my introduction to this little bit talks about my being born in the wrong century. I should have been born in the, in the 19th century. That's my aesthetic. And the 20th century really wasn't quite for me. But the 21st century is kind of neat with all of these gadgets, such as the phone you're listening to me and the computer with its uh, graphics programs. I think I'm embracing the 21st century. 
in which ways are you embracing it in terms of techniques, tools, or any other things, activities that you're doing? All of the above. Talking and chatting with people from all over the world on the interweb allows me to essentially travel without having to put my shoes on. The apps I use on my iPad allow me to do all sorts of interesting drawings that I never would have done uh, with paper and pencil. I'm not a colorist. I I think in black and white, and my work is in black and white, except now with the iPad, I'm using color and actually understanding color. My colors on my iPad don't get muddy like my colors in my watercolors do or my oil paints. So i diving right into the computer with respect to its applications and its programs. Now in Photoshop, for example, I must use maybe three of the buttons, you know, cut, paste, layers, paintbrush. That's about it. You know, I don't do filters. I don't, you know, there's so many things I don't do and I don't know how to do them, but I really love cut and pasting or scaling or whatever it is. So in your work, when do you get your best ideas? Well, I used to get my best ideas when I would leave the house and go to dinner. At about 8 o'clock, I would go out to dinner. I would never cook. I would go out to dinner to get out of the house and to breathe fresh air and things like that. And I would go to a bar, and I'd sit at the bar, and I'd order a drink and another drink and another drink. And I'd get my best ideas when I was away from my drawing table. I'd always take a sketchbook with me. And it would be a sketchbook I would pick at random. I've got some guy next to me at the bar said, who would see me quite often, said, well, how many sketchbooks have you gone through? And I said, I don't think I've ever completed one. I probably have 300 that I've started, but I've never filled one completely because I just grab them at random from whatever pile I'm nearest when I decide to go to dinner. And I would open up the sketchbook at random at a page that was blank and I would draw. But on my way to the blank page, I might see something I did the day before or the year before or two years before. And those ideas that I was working on then inform me what I'm doing now. And this is one of the things about the way I work and the way I, when I have all these things around me that I can see, keeps me reminded of all of the things that are available to me. If I was at my drawing table and I had one pencil and one piece of paper, I don't think I would get any ideas. Even if I'm not looking for an idea, stuff around me makes it happen. Um, So I would get these ideas when I was away from my studio and I didn't have the actual job looking at me in the face, but I would be thinking about it and I would have my beer or my second beer or a third beer and I would continue to work on it. And because I was now relaxed, and a little bit happy with the beer, I would come up with ideas that were maybe better. And I would describe to the person next to me that, you know, what are you doing? Oh, I'm working on a job for so-and-so. And I describe it to this stranger. And by describing it, using my mouth to actually convey this information to someone else makes me made me think about it differently. But three years ago, I was walking home, having any number of beers, more than I should have, and I fell down in the gutter, and I remained in the gutter for a good 10 minutes until I figured out where my legs were, and I stood up very tentatively. And right then and there, I said, I cannot drink anymore, and I have not had a drink since then. 
So my ideas have gone away. <laughs> no, not quite, but I need to find if something else I can do for that. I think I get my best ideas when I step away from the drawing table and when I see something else that I worked on, and it could be something that I'm working on right now, but just at a different table, I'll look at that and then I'll look back at what I was just doing and thinking, oh, of course, I know how to fix it. I just have to see something else. And it's usually something else that I've done. You know, it's not like I look at some other artist and see how they figured it out. It's it's usually some other project I'm working on. Oh, I solved it this way. Okay. And at your workplace, when you're engaged with a project, what makes you more creative? I don't know what makes me more creative. I know what makes me maybe get the job done, but that doesn't. that's not being creative. That's just doing the work. And what is it? Usually a deadline. You know, I, I, the, the problem is I often have six or seven jobs that I'm working on all at the same time. And a lot of this is due to clients continually changing their mind. And I have to redraw things or add one more thing to what they want me to do. So it's, it's frustrating. I, you know, I love the job that where they say, we need this by tomorrow. Can you do it? And I love that because I don't, I don't have time not to do it. I have to just do it. I don't know if that's the most creative, though. You know, they're getting the job fast and they're getting a good job. But if I had a little bit more time to think about it, I might have come up with a better solution to the problem they were giving me. So I don't know if I have any words of wisdom. Is there any aspect of your work that you deliberately practice? I don't think so. I always think that I should do X, Y, and Z so the next time I do it, it'll be easier. So I have many times built myself some templates, either on paper or in uh, Photoshop, and I end up not remembering where I filed them, remembering how to how I did them, or they they don't work exactly right. So I end up having to start over again anyway. So starting from scratch is sometimes the best thing you could do. You just throw the thing away and start completely over. I should do that more often. How do you approach work in progress and prototypes? Prototypes and sketches, quick sketches, I like the best. You know, if I have an idea for some a project and I'll sketch it, I'll think, oh my God, this is great. This will work great. And I'll do one quick sketch. And usually I'll look at that sketch and I'll say, okay, I, I need to tweak it this way and that way. And I tweak it that way and this way. And it's perfect. Of course, it's not done. It's not even done enough to show the client, but it's perfect in my head. I can finish it in my head. And any point after that first 10 minutes or 20 minutes, I kill the job little by little. It gets more and more finished, but it's deader and deader and deader and deader and stiffer and tighter and deader. And I'm exaggerating, folks. I don't want you to think that what you get at the end is something that's dead. But I have to remember how to keep it fresh, how to keep adding things that make me interested in drawing it and make me want to improve it as I go along. And when do you know that something's done? When the client tells me it's done. Now, the client, way back in step three, the client might choose option number four. And 
I really wanted them to choose number three. That's the one I want to do. So the client gets option number four, but that option number three is in my little head and it's going to stay there until I do it. So what I do when the client is done and their wedding happened or whatever they're doing, it's over and done with. I will do what I wanted to do for them. And I am finally happy because it's the, it's the thing that I thought was the better idea. Oftentimes when I'm designing something, a lot of my work is indiv- for individuals. It's stationary or it's a wedding invitation. It's, it's things where I'm aiming for the highest common denominator, not the lowest. You know, you're inviting your friends to a wedding. Your friends know your story so I can make it reflect you. I'm not trying to sell a pair of shoes to everyone on the planet. I'm designing something for you to show your closest and dearest friends. And I was getting on my soapbox just now. I have to calm down. Uh, you're showing your closest and dearest friends. And let's make it smart. But they remember their great aunt Gladys. And Gladys isn't going to understand this. So I have to dumb it down for Aunt Gladys. And she's only going to, you know, give you that stupid toaster. So what if she doesn't come to the wedding? You know, let's keep it smart and keep it fun. And uh, so every once in a while, I do get a, you know, half my clients understand me. And that's why they come to me, because they understand my humor and my complexities that I bring to something. But I do often get clients that want me to simplify it which is polite way of saying dumbing it down. Can you talk about any of your favorite projects? Yes, one of my favorite projects was again a project that I had to finish after the bride was happy with what she got and it was an idea that came to me immediately when I heard the project and it was through a woman who was the designer of the invitation and she wanted me to design a map to go with actually it was a save the date thing and they the theme was this safari theme and the book uh, it was a victorian era safari themed wedding and this wasn't a victoria safari themed wedding that was going to take place in ohio this was a Victor- victoria safari theme that was going to take place in africa so The wedding was going to be in Africa, and the reception was going to be in Massachusetts. And immediately my brain came up with the map, and the map was going to come out of the end of this booklet that was leather-bound booklet that was being made for this thing, letterpress booklet. And the map was going to fall out of the end of this thing, and it was going to be about six feet long, and you were going to see Massachusetts at the top, at the far right left-hand side, sorry, left-hand side, and then you'd see Cape Cod, and then you'd see the Atlantic Ocean, and then eventually you might see, I think, Barbados was there, and further down you saw St. Helena, and you went across the equator, and eventually you saw South Africa, and there is an actual place you can see this on the globe where between Massachusetts and South Africa, there's nothing except those two islands. And I thought that was great. I thought it would make complete sense. You know, the, there's no other wedding that ever happened that was this far apart, probably. And the bride said, why is 
Africa crooked. Well, I had to tilt the map 45 degrees at an angle. So the bride didn't understand why Africa was crooked. Well, everything was crooked, so it could fit. So what ended up was not a seven-foot map, but a 12-inch map. And Africa was on the same latitude. I'm starting to get a headache right now. Same latitude as Boston. And the scale was all screwed up and everything was wrong. Everything was wrong. It was just wrong. Wrong. So my idea, I think, was a lot better. I'm just curious, um, where did you do the letterpress thingy? The letterpress, uh, I, I can't remember where that job was done, but I have done a number of jobs using a, a number of different letterpresses in Boston and New York and um, even other places. Uh, often my my clients live all over the world and I will never meet them face to face, but I will design something for them and send them the files that they will have their own printers print. But I love letter presses, letter pressing. And um, I, we have one here in my building that I've used for one job so far. How do you define success? Success for me, for a job anyway, I don't know how to define it in a bigger realm than that, is if I'm pretty certain that what I provided the client was the best that I could do, then I'll, I'll give myself a gold star and I'll think that I did a good job with that. For me personally, for my own art, success is having fun. If I spend too much time on something, I don't have fun on it. And if I, you know, the YouTube videos that I had mentioned earlier, I right now I'm I'm having fun making YouTube videos that I describe my particular take on fountain pens, collecting, drawing, calligraphy, my opinions about uh, art, my opinions about flags, sometimes my opinions about politics and things like that. And I don't edit. I don't cut. I don't do anything. What you see is what you get. It's very real. And I know that if I started to edit and started to tweak this, yes, I will cut down a video from 20 minutes to 10, but I would spend hours and hours and hours tweaking and it would kill the fun for me. So for my own work, with myself as a client, I want to have fun. And that's one of the reasons why I go out with this urban sketching group. A spot is chosen by someone else. I go there, and I'm surrounded by, or I'm looking at something I would never think of drawing in a million years, but I'm in front of this thing, and I'm drawing it. And the pressure is off. I don't have a client to please. And I'm only pleasing myself. And it's really relaxing and fun. And retaining that fun is, is hard to do because you can start refining it. And refining it is taking the lumps out of the mashed potatoes. You want to keep those in there. And for me, sketching, spending a half an hour on a sketch is sometimes 20 minutes too long. I love working fast. 
and getting my idea down quickly. And at these urban sketchers, at the end of two hours, you see some people maybe have one drawing that's almost done. And then I show up and I take out about 20 and lay them out. And I smile because I just work fast. And they I, they look at me like I'm cheating or something. I don't know what. I work fast. I draw fast. When Nono told me today, I think it was today, that he wanted to interview me for the Getting Simple podcast. And I've, I've listened not to very many, but to some. And I... I thought that he wanted to interview me because I'm the poster child for what all of you are trying not to be. But I admire people that can get simple and make their life simple. I don't know whether I have that gene in me. I think I'm, I, but I, I don't think I'm very complex. I just have a lot of stuff and I'm doing lots of stuff at the same time. I don't think that that necessarily means I'm complicated. But I, I wonder. I mean, I, I try to make my life easier to get through the day, but I don't know if I'm doing a very good job of it. I firmly believe that no matter how simple or how narrow your focus gets, you're always going to try to branch out and experiment many facets of that thing. doesn't matter how narrow or like wide your angle is, you're going to always try to experiment with different of those things, right? So I actually see that you have a pretty narrow scope, but still in that narrow scope, you're doing a lot of really different things. I suppose that's true. I don't say narrow in a bad way. I mean, some people try to, I mean, look at me, I'm trying to sketch and do programming and do design and write. So the scope is pretty despair, like pretty despair activity. So I, I think you might look at your work and think there you're doing a lot of different jobs are different, but they share common techniques and they share commonality. So there, there are commonalities that in some way are like you're practicing always the same craft from different angles. And that's pretty powerful because you're like pushing yourself on the same direction in, in ways that your brain doesn't get bored of it. I, I guess that's true. Yes, I'm nodding. You don't see that me in radio land that I'm nodding. I'm agreeing with what he's saying and processing it at the same time. And I'm, I'm thinking about my father, for example, who's a very good draftsman, but he also dove right into clay and made beautiful clay art. And he's good at ev everything he does. And he seems very, I, I think, God, I wish I could just dive into clay. Clay's too dirty for me, though. It's too dusty. I don't like it. It drives me crazy. But I think I do a number of different things that are creative that still have a common denominator, but some people might think are very different. Like I showed Nono earlier. I don't know if he's going to have a picture of me wearing my hat that I wore, that I made in an hour before a, a dinner I went to. We had a dîner en blanc here in the building. And I took a lampshade, some lettering, some cultured pearls, and some styrofoam and made a little bonnet to wear. And it looks sort of like Karnak, the Johnny Carson uh, turbaned mind reader hat. And I don't know, some constructivist sculpture had a love child and I put it on my head. But that made that really made me happy. And it made my head hurt, but it made me happy and my neighbors thought it was quite funny. I guess I'm a comic. 
I'm going to try to do a lightning round. Oh, I have to answer them right away? Oh, dear. What do you say to yourself in the morning? Oh, God. Another day? Boy, this hurts. (laughs) Where's my coffee? (laughs) Um, In the morning, I make a list. Can I say that? I make a list. I make a list of what I have to do that day. And I start out, this is a secret that I'm going to tell only you no, no. No one else will get to know this secret. Make the list long, but make it full of lots of short things that you can immediately cross off. So you can say, gee, I accomplished a lot today. For example, my list starts out with P, 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 P. P, Prozac, P, 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 poop, P, cat poop. That should be CP, I suppose. But I always start with that. And I know I can cross off four things. And it's, you know, do this job, do that job, make coffee, you know, drink coffee. But I make a list of 10 things and I can cross off at least four within the first hour. Okay, next question. One successful person. Saul Steinberg, my first artistic influence. He's uh, did a lot of covers for the New Yorker magazine and very, very funny man. You wouldn't know that to look at him, though. He lo- he's very, very serious. I saw him in a movie talking about his artwork, and I thought he was a physicist talking about quark theory or something. Uh, but his artwork is very, very playful and fun. And he did it all his life, and I can't imagine anyone more successful than that. One sentence you would send to the whole world? Well, buying fountain pens is always a good thing to do. Just uh, if you're not doing what you like to do, find a job that you can do nine to five or even less. Get a part-time job, waiting tables, and then spend the rest of your free time doing what you want to do. I love that. What would you tell your 20 or 30-year-old self? (laughs) Learn how to be a Zen monk. Go outside more. I would have t- told myself then, I should do that now. I, I'm, a ho- I'm a homebody, and I was a homebody then. But uh, I was very different when I was 20. I was very shy. At that time, a closeted gay man was uh, debilitating. So I would have told myself at 20, you know, get with the program, kid. At 30, I was already with the program. But <laughs> at 20, I wasn't. So, But that really, that was quite a, I mean... It's, it was debilitating. People that are young today don't have the problems that I did. I'm 62. So back in the olden days, that was different. And today's 9th of September 2018. Is that what it is? I think so. It, it, <laughs> this will be published probably a lot later. But okay. this is when this was recorded in Somerville, Massachusetts. I'll take your word for it. I sometimes don't even remember what month it is. You know, I'm completely oblivious. I don't use a calendar, and I normally don't need one. You know, I know I have to get something done, you know, by next week, and I know when next week is going to happen, but I often don't know, have no idea what the date is. I generally know what day it is, but I don't know the date often. Does it matter? It doesn't matter to me. How do you face boredom? I don't... I don't know really whether I've ever been bored. Oh, no, I have been bored. You know, if I'm at a doctor's appointment and I my phone died or something and I and I there are magazines that have you know pictures of people that I I don't know what they look like. I only hear about them on the radio news. I don't watch TV, so I don't know what people look like. 
very often. So when I see them on the cover of a magazine, I think, oh my God, is that what he looks like? Or that's what she looks like. So I, but normally I'm frustrated because I don't know these people and I don't care about them. So I'm bored there, but luckily not for very long. How much money do you need to leave? Um, I need more than I have right now because I'm quite broke. I used to have money. And at one point, my banker called me up on the phone. And here I thought I was overdrawn or something had gone wrong. And he said, you have so many, you have X thousands of dollars in your checking account. And I think we can do better with that in some sort of, you know, program. And I put put it in some savings thing. And, but I've, that's all gone away. Um, so I, I'm actually quite in debt right now. But I don't have, yes, I buy food. And yes, I pay for insurance. And yes, I pay my electric bill. But I don't go shopping for clothes. I have lots of clothes. I don't need new clothes. I buy a car once every 10 years and I run it into the ground. And uh, the last the car I presently own, I, I haven't driven for a year because it needs a repair that I can't afford right now. So I don't, I'm not a consumer in the sense of a normal consumer. So I don't need very much money. What's something cheap or even free that you've acquired lately that is having an impact in your life? Well, anytime I, I do spend money on fountain pens, I buy pens on eBay and each one of them is a unique item because the nibs that were made back in those days were so special and no two are alike that it's really a joy to to get a pen that has a great nib. But other than that, I recently got, I'm counting in my head here, probably 10 or 12 pieces of Victorian furniture recently from a neighbor who moved out of their house and they didn't know what to do with all this Victorian furniture. And I said, I'll take it. And it has impacted me because I even have less room now to walk in a straight line. But Victorian furniture is really funny. It's just quirkily designed, and it makes me smile to look at it. Could you make this thing any more complicated in its design? Let's, I know, let's add a little ding-dong here, and we'll add one on the other side to make it even. And it's that sort of aesthetic that is sort of my aesthetic. My aesthetic in artwork is to use more ink than less ink. I often will draw with white pencil on black paper because at the end, I would start with white paper and it would end up being almost all black. So I work the other way around. I draw the light, not the shadow. So for me, more is more aesthetically. How do you define art? I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I know how to define it. Something made by man and made to be art. I think something that was not made to be art is never art unless an artist does something to it. Fancier definitions about whether it's beautiful or not, I don't want to get into. Whether it's meaningful or ideal, I don't want to get into. I don't know. Let's talk about the sketches that we do. I don't know whether any of the sketches that I do when I'm doing urban sketching is art. It could be artful, but I don't think I approach it as if I'm going to make art. 
I'm just drawing. I'm making a sketch. When do you think a creative activity passes from being art to being craft? That's another hard one to determine because they they blur so much. I think a general description would be if you look at the thing and you are aware of the thing rather than the feeling that it's trying to make or rather than the idea that it's conveying, then it might be more toward craft. If you look at the beautiful woodworking or if you're looking at you know, you look you can look at uh, two pieces of wood sculpture and one will make you think of the beautiful varnish and the beautiful turned wood and that might be more toward craft and if you look at this wooden sculpture and you think of the plight of humanity and the beauty of the Virgin Mary or whatever it might be depicting, then it might be more art. Can you name one thing that, if it happened, would make your life easier? Yes. If my car were stolen, my life would be easier. I know I, could, I, know I can donate it and have it taken away, but it requires me trying to find out where I put my title to it. I think I know where it is. But I always come home thinking... If it was gone, my life would be easier. I just, I know I should get it fixed. I just don't have the money to do it. Get my clients to pay me on time, that would be helpful too. I had to ask one client, well, I mean, I've got my mortgage company asking me just as many times as I'm asking my my clients to pay me. They ask me to pay them, so. Are there any books that have influenced your life or your work life? Well, my first artistic influence was uh, a book that my parents had, Saul Steinberg, again, that artist, uh, it, it's a book called The Art of Living. And it looks like a coloring book. And uh, it shows Pierre Gustafson's coloring in a couple of the pages before my father snatched it out of my hands. Uh, his his work is very childlike, or can be seen as very childlike. And that was a book that I remember vividly uh, when I was a kid, there were other books. Uh, Mr. Pine's Mixed Up Signs was a book that I had as a kid, and I've always loved signs, I think, as a result of that in lettering. Another book is called A Dot and a Line, and I think that is actually a book that was a book my mother read to my little brother, not to me, but I end up ended up liking that. It's a little love story between a dot and a line. It was later animated by a cartoonist that did Bugs Bunny, whoever that guy is. Ritz Freeling, maybe? No, I can't think. So those books influence me. I would like to get back to a topic we commented before. So you say you belong to the 19th century, but I see that you've embraced technology for your work and also because it seems to give you joy in certain aspects. So what are some things that you've embraced that have given a different dimension to your artwork and your commissions? Okay, I don't know how to answer this one right away. You're making me think. No, no. What are some digital tools that you use for your work? Wacom tablets. I've never ever used a mouse. When I bought my first computer, I bought a Wacom tablet. So, you know, keypad shortcuts, uh, mice, trackpads. I don't know how to use any of those things. And I don't know how to use a PC at all. I don't know how even to turn one on. I don't understand how they work. Macs are it. The iPad that I thought was the stupidest thing before I tried one has become a great thing. I love using the iPad to draw. 
uh, Wacom tablet. As I said, Wacom Cintiq is what I use for most of my work. I should learn to draw 10 minutes more on my drawing table before scanning it in. I'm rather impatient, and I you know, don't erase the pencil lines enough, and I end up scanning them in, and then I have to spend hours undoing them in Photoshop. So technology is great if you remember when you're just supposed to use it and when you're not. So you've shown me some of your iPad sketches before. What app do you use for those? My favorite iPad app is called Sketch Club, and it's the love child of Photoshop and Facebook because it's a social app where you can, if you want, and I didn't, I used it for many years without knowing this aspect of it, where you can actually broadcast as you draw and people can type things and you can read what they're typing and they can hear you talk and you can have conversations with them about how you're drawing. So you're teaching them how to draw if you want. They also have fun little challenges every day that you can do, but it's really a very user-friendly app and I, I love it. And I'll just say one thing about the iPad and the iPencil, or whatever they call it, the Mac Pencil, and the Wacom tablet and the stylus. I find them both very, very difficult to use because they're very slick. The surfaces are too slick. And I'm used to a pencil on paper or a pen on paper, and the tooth of the paper is a very important factor for me in controlling the tool. I'm always overshooting the line if I'm using the Wacom tablet with just the pen on the stylus on the on the Cintiq or the tablet and or the Mac pencil on the surface of the iPad. So here's a pro tip for all of you out there. Get a piece of Mylar and put it down covering your screen. The The pen nib will go through the mylar and it won't interrupt your drawing app at all, but it will give you the tooth that you need and it'll slow you down. It'll give you feedback that it'll push back is what I mean to say. It'll give you a little bit of resistance and it really will help. And many of us draw instinctively. You don't have to actually look at every mark you make. You just crosshatch or you gesturally move your hand around as you're drawing the figure or landscape. And later, when you're done with the drawing and you have to edit it and you have to move those curves and illustrator around, yes, you have to take the piece of tracing paper or mylar off so you can move those points around. But to actually draw, try it out. Even a piece of paper will do. Your pen will go through it and you'll find it works a lot better. If you learn nothing, you'll thank me for that. That's a pretty cool tip. What do you think a healthy relationship with technology looks like? Remember to turn things off, completely turn things off, not just when you're at a movie theater or out to dinner. Just turn things off and go outside and ride your bike or go to the grocery store or read a book, a real book with paper. It's too easy. You know, when you're looking at Kindle or book on your screen, it's the same tool you use to answer your emails. It's the same tool that you get texts from your brother that you don't want to talk to right now or whatever. You it's you you can't be completely removed from those things when you're holding the thing that gives you that information, you know, I think. So turn it off and leave it in the other room. What are some communities 
that you have found through the internet and that maybe you're a part of or you have learned from? Uh, there's a lot of Facebook groups that I am now involved in, and they're drawing groups or writing groups or calligraphy groups. And I'm enjoying looking at the work they do or Instagram, you know, following people on Instagram. I enjoy looking at the work they do. And many of them are very keen on teaching you how to do things, teaching you their tricks. And I really find that great fun. What do you think about slowing down in life? Well, I've never been too fast. I'm kind of slow. I've never been in the fast lane, and I try to stay out of the breakdown lane most of the time, but I generally go safely within the speed limit. I work fast, I draw fast, but I'm not a fast person, I don't think. I don't have to get things done immediately. I don't have to get the next thing before the next person gets it unless it's at a flea market, in which case I absolutely do have to get the next thing before they get it. But <laughs> it's the only one there, you know. Do you feel busy? I'm almost always busy doing something. Now, whether it's productive busy or fidgety busy, I'm always doing something. What are some distractions or procrastination things that you do? Oh, there's lots of those. As I described, I can fix a pen and I've got drawers full of other 50, 60, 70 year old pens that I could be fixing. And then I can spend all day fixing these things that I will use myself for to provide to other artists or calligraphers. So that's an easy distraction. Other distractions are moving things around in my house. Oh, let's try moving my desk into that corner of the room. Now, gentle listener, you can probably move your desk to a different corner of the room because all you have to do is move three things. You move the desk and the table and the chair and the potted fern. But me, I have to move 500 things in order to move those one, those two little things. I'm always trying to make my feng shui work better. And he's laughing at me because there's not a feng or a shui. You can't swing a dead cat without hitting a feng and a shui in this place. It's too busy to be that. But Everything does make sense to me. Things are at right angles or 45 degree angles, and there's things relate to other things in my house. Can you talk about your love for flags? I love flags. I am a vexologist, I learned late in life. And those are people that, well, those are people that know flags. Vexophile, I guess, is a person that loves flags. I've always loved flags. And I've got in my, at my ceiling, hanging from my ceiling, there are about... 50 or so flags. Some are Navy signal flags. Some are flags of countries. Some are flags of countries that no longer exist. And uh, they're adding color to my ceiling. What would you say to artists that are just getting started? Get a good part-time job. Uh, if you have a real career, like a banker, many of you people might be very nice bankers, but if you have a banker, if you're a banker that you have to work from nine to five and you want to be a manager of a bank, and then you want to be the president of the bank, you can just give up art right now. Don't bother with that. But if you need money to buy those paints and those pencils and those tablets, get a really good part-time job that you enjoy, preferably something you enjoy doing. Waiting on tables is a great way to get fed, to get good money, and get some exercise. And at the end of the day, you can uh, go and draw. You know, the, the worst thing that can happen to you in many jobs is that you'll not get a tip. Or you could get fired, I suppose, but 
that sort of job, it's not a career, but it's a job. And you can then spend your time and your brain power and your passion on painting or drawing or whatever you want to do. What is on the future days of Pierre Gustafson? Pierre Gustafson. A lot of people like putting the F before the S, Gustafson. Gustafson, the future days. Every once in a while, I think at 62 that I'm, you know, now on the downward slope. I've never thought I would ever retire, and I can't. I don't have the financial stamina to, you know, live a week without trying to get more money in from doing jobs. Luckily, I like what I do most of the time, and so I don't see my life changing till I keel over. How much money do you spend a week? Money is trading a engraved picture of a dead white guy for something you want more. So a $20 bill or this book with these really neat pictures in it, a book any day of the week, the $20 bill. I, I never really knew how much money I had in the bank. I didn't. Money didn't mean anything, and it still doesn't mean anything to me in the sense of, you know, yes, do I want to trade a lot of dead white guys for that thing? I don't know. You know, I know what I'm buying and I know how much I'm spending, but I don't pay attention to it. Because of my new non-drinking and because of my new impoverished state, I don't spend that much. I These days I'm eating, my lunches are peanut butter and jelly sandwich, period. And I sometimes have that for dinner. I used to go out to dinner back when I was drinking and I would spend and what I was making money and you know, I had clients. A reason that I think my life has changed from 10 years ago is I had a stalker and a person that had broken into my email and tormented me and essentially was blackmailing me. And it was difficult for me to work. I would spend hours trying to get new emails that he would break into. And my when I finally decided to let, not be afraid, you know, if he wanted to do what he wanted to do, he could. I didn't care. It was killing me. So I just, you know, stopped communication altogether. But it took me a good long time to get over a lot of the trauma that that caused. And I was unable to function while I was being tormented. And I was unable to function after I stopped <laughs> being tormented just because uh, I was sort of in shock. And it's taken me a good long time to get back into the swing of things. But also in that time, you know, a lot of people that, you know, I, I sent out an email to everyone saying, you know, that this happened to me and my email was broken into. And some of my clients uh, chose not to deal with someone who was being broken into for obvious reasons. Why do you want to deal with that? So I lost some clients, not too many. I mean, I don't think I lost any important ones. You know, I didn't lose any friends or anything out of it, but it just, it took its toll. But now we can go back onto something else. The income, I think a lot of people, right now there are more people doing what I do than there was 10 years ago. And uh, there are apps that you can buy that you can press a button or two and you'll have something that looks like it's a drawing. You don't have to hire a real artist anymore. And you'll get a photograph turned into a drawing. And I can tell that it was a photograph turned into a drawing. And any artist can tell it's that. But it'll probably do the trick. 
but it's not going to make it a good drawing. That's composition and that's creativity and that's that you need a professional for, you know. You can't just press a fancy button on your computer and expect it to look good. But a lot of people think that's all you have to do and that's all you need to do if you don't really care. But another thing is there's one product I used to sell to wedding clients and I haven't done one of these products in many, many years. And it was an extra luxury thing, I guess you could call it. It wasn't really needed. It was something that you could buy from me instead of using a guest book. I would create a sign-in board and people don't hire me to do that now. And I know that there isn't an app for that, but there's probably, I think back in the day when I was making a lot of money, I had brides and grooms willing to spend a lot of money on this very important day. And I think they're coming to their senses. They're saying, I, we don't need to spend this much money on this. And that's fine. Where can people find you online? PierreGustafson.com. My name.com. And that's, do it. But you can find, you know, I, I have lots of YouTube videos up. I have an Instagram account. I have a Facebook account, all of it essentially the same name. And do take a look at what I do. I mean, that will help you understand everything I've been saying for the last hour. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about today? No, not really. I'm I, Again, I keep going back to sort of the surprise that you wanted to talk to me. Nono originally met me. Actually, he lied when he said we met at the uh, sketch club thing or the Urban Sketchers. He saw me at Open Studios, and I just happened to be babysitting for a grand piano in someone else's loft. And he came in to my studio today and was confused because this was not what he saw at the other place where he thought was that was my studio. But I think now he understands that this is where I belong. This is the house that I need. He's looking around saying, thinking I needed big dumpster, but no, he he understands it. I can see that he understands. I don't know. I keep telling everyone the reason for this podcast is for everyone who's listening and for me, I guess, to realize how other people try to find joy in life. Probably simple is misconceived as minimalism or Zen or get rid of everything, but it's not. I think just understanding how you're comfortable with living this way and there's like i would say the canon right the archetypical house of today that we see on tv on pinterest on instagram everywhere is really different from this but that doesn't mean that this is wrong or the other thing is right that's true and when you were just mentioning this simple thing i am very simple, I think. I My needs are simple. You know, I don't have a family. I don't have to get money to put people through college. I don't need the newest iPhone. I don't need, I don't really need anything other than that peanut butter and jelly sandwich every once in a while. I think in a way I do have that simplicity, even if it involves lots of stuff. I think the reason that I have all of this stuff is for the purpose of making me smile. Well, and I also, I keep realizing that everything that people see as a finished product and they might think it's simple or clean or 
you name it, there's like some messy behind the scenes where that gets produced, right? You give your clients that cleanness, that finished product, that simplified version of your process or that end outcome, whether it's dummy that or not. But I mean, the process behind the scenes is really messy, I would say. I mean, it's, it's needed. That messiness is needed. Yes, it's pretty messy. It's not quite like making sausages or the smoky back room of a city hall. It's not quite as gruesome as that, but it can be pretty messy. There's a lot of cutting and pasting. I was just recently doing something for this little tiny 40-second video for my YouTube and to its animation, and I have on my desktop on my computer 100 files, separate files. And I suppose if I learned how to use Photoshop more, I wouldn't have to do any of that, but I don't know how to do that. So I I do it the way I know how to do it, but it just leaves this huge pile of files that I have to throw away. I try to give the client something that's neat and hopefully looks like it was easy and looks like it was inspired and looks like it rolled off the assembly line without a problem. But they know if they work with me, they know how many problems we had because they were the ones giving them to me. Oh, we decided we're going to add one more thing to our schedule. So they know where the complexities were. Well, I wanted to thank you for granting me. It was my pleasure. You enjoyed it. I did. I do. So before we go, I'll want to tell you that after the jump, so after the end song, I'm going to try to get Pierre to play the ukulele. Oh, dear. So I'm going to give you just some reminders before you go. So this was one more episode of the Getting Simple podcast with Pierre Gustafsson. You can find his work at piergustafsson.com. You can find a detailed list of episode notes of this episode at gettingsimple.com forward slash and the number of this episode. I'll remind you that you can also help me out with the podcast by rating it on the iTunes store on Apple Podcasts because this is the best way for other people to get to know about it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you, Pierre, enjoyed it as well. I did. And yeah, see you on the next episode and wait for the ukulele song. I mean, that's why I bought this thing, is to sing. I love singing. I redid the words. They're not teaching cursive handwriting in school anymore. People don't need to know the alphabet. They have Siri, and they, they don't need to know how to spell anything because there's spell check. But they do have to know how to text each other, so they have to know to know how the uh, keyboard works. So be prepared. U-W-E-R-T-Y-U-I-O-P-A-S-T-F-G-H-J-K-L-Z-X-C-V-B-N-N-M Now I know my Q-W-E's Next time, won't you text with me? I am H-O-T-M-I-T-G-I-F-W-T-F F-Y-I-I-D-K-L-M-A-O-O-M-G Now my bet 
tree's about to die. T-T-Y. And that's how it ends. What do you think? <laughs>